0: How good. Uh, For those of you that possibly don't know what's going on right now, uh, we're about to spend some time opening God's Word together. Uh, This term at Youth Group, We and also next term as well, for the next two terms, uh, and for those of you that were paying attention at Kick as well, we're going to be studying the book of Mark. Now, Mark is one of the books that we call Gospel, which Mickey spoke about a lot last week. But before I get Craig up Uh, to read today's passage for us, I wanted to give you guys just a quick overview of where we are in the Gospel of Mark. Where are we and what's going on right now? Because I think we're about to jump in to chapter 2, to the start of chapter 2. Mickey spoke about the first verse in chapter 1 and there's a lot that happens in between that moment that we talked about last week and what we're going to talk about this week. Um, And because we're jumping in, I wanted to quickly fill you guys in on what happens. Uh, Hands up if you've heard of the Christmas story before, when Jesus is born as a baby in a manger. Yeah, Mark skips completely over that. He doesn't even bother with it. He gets straight to the point. He gets straight to the point. He skips over Jesus born in a manger in Bethlehem and jumps in to Jesus as an adult. I thought this was a pretty good way of... Illustrating that, I'm sorry. Um, He describes, at the very start of the chapter, Jesus being baptized, the Spirit of God visibly descending upon Him from heaven, declaring to all those who can hear, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. The Spirit then sends Jesus out into the wilderness, into the desert, and He's tempted by Satan, by the embodiment of evil. And then after He comes out of that, He begins His ministry. This is kind of the origin story of Jesus, right? If Jesus' life was a superhero movie, this would be the creation of Jesus when we see His ministry begin. And what does He start to do? Well, He starts to proclaim the good news of God that Mickey was telling us last week. He starts to proclaim the good news of God. And what is that good news? That the kingdom of God has come near in him. And because of that, everyone needs to turn away from their sin and follow God. And then he calls some specific people to follow him. Some fishermen, specifically, we're going to hear more about them in later weeks. Uh, just some low working class men. He calls them to be his disciples, his devoted followers. Then he gets up and as he's preaching, as he's telling people about this good news, he casts out a demon that speaks up against him while he's teaching. And then he also heals some sick people miraculously. And so by the time we reach today's passage, only chapter 2, everyone is asking the question, who is this man? And so everyone's gathering around him. Everyone's trying to get a glimpse of him. Everyone's bringing people with problems to him to find out who is This man. So I'm going to get Craig up, uh, and Craig's going to read Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. If you've brought your own Bible, I'd encourage you to follow along in that, or it's going to be up on the screen for you guys to follow along with. And then afterwards, we're going to pray, and we're going to unpack it together.
1: Thanks, Sam. So I'm looking at my phone because there's a Bible on it, so that's okay. Um, There it is up there as well. Now, I've made sure I'm on the right uh, version. I read the wrong version on the weekend. So people were reading up there, and I was saying different words, slightly different, but we're all good today. So Mark chapter 2. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to them, said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there, thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this.
0: Thanks, Craig. So we've established where we are. Some people are gathering around. I want to ask you guys the question, as we look at these couple of verses specifically, what is your biggest problem? What is your biggest problem? I asked some people this before youth group tonight uh, and they told me things like uh, I get angry, right? Or sometimes I'm not a very nice person uh, or I, I don't have enough friends, right? If you could click your fingers and solve one thing, what would it be? Turn to the person next to you and ask them that question and see whether they can give you an answer. If you could solve one problem, what would it be?
1: Insert your in
0: between the word is and biggest. If I could click my fingers and solve one problem, that's what I'd fix. <laughs> okay, I think that's enough time. Let's bring that attention back here. Eyes this way, mouths closed is listening does anyone want to dob in the person next to them if it was something really personal please don't call it out but just call out if the person next to you you think had a good answer to this question what is the one problem they would solve
1: you can just call out yours if you want
0: yeah you'd stop fidgeting yeah anything else any other problems we'd solve Global warming, yeah? Sin, that's a big one. We're going to get there tonight, hopefully. How good. In 1992, Disney made a movie that posed this very question. Uh, I'm pretty confident in saying that most of the people in this room weren't born in 1992, but you've probably seen this movie where a young boy named Aladdin thought that his biggest problem was that he was a poor nobody who wasn't rich enough to be noticed by the woman of his dreams, Princess Jasmine. He thought that that's what his problem was. And so one day when this boy, Aladdin, finds a magic lamp containing a genie who will give him three wishes, Aladdin makes the choice that I think we all would in this situation and he solves his biggest problem. He says to the genie, Make me a prince. But as the movie progresses, this doesn't actually work out too well for Aladdin. And if any of you can remember the movie, we realize through it that Aladdin's biggest problem was never that he was poor. Actually, it was that he wasn't content with himself and he's greedy and selfish and puts his own needs above those of the people closest to him. And this greed ultimately hurts the person he's seeking. It breaks the trust between him and Jasmine and between him and the genie who helped him out in the first place. But it's a, it's a Disney movie, so thankfully for Aladdin, uh, there's a bad guy who's worse than him, right? Jafar, what a fun name. Uh, and it works out fine, right? Uh, he, he gets the girl, he actually ends up a prince, it's fine. But I think... Aladdin's cluelessness, right, his lack of understanding about what his biggest problem is, is helpful for us when we look at the part of Jesus' ministry that Mark outlines for us today. Because Jesus does solve big problems. But the people in the story today don't actually know what their biggest problem is. People have started, as I said earlier, hearing about this man who teaches with authority, who can heal sick people, who can cast out evil spirits, and they're trying to figure out which box to put him in from their experience. Is this, a, is this guy a wise teacher? Is he an exorcist? Is he a healer? Is he a prophet? Is he just some insane madman? Like, what's going on with this guy? And so many people are gathered to see him, to see this guy who solves problems, or so they've heard, that the house he's in is absolutely packed. People are even standing in the doorway and spilling out towards the front. And there's one man who is unable to get to Jesus, to this great teacher, to this problem solver, to this demon caster outerer, and most importantly for this man, to this man who can heal people. Because this person that's trying to meet Jesus is paralyzed. Thankfully for him, his friends are there to help him because regardless of how many people were around, if he was by himself, he wouldn't be able to get to Jesus anyway. But he has some friends who help him. They carry him in on a mat. But as we said, the place is packed. They can't get in the door. It's so crowded that they just decide that it's easier to climb up on the roof and start digging down through the thatch, like pieces of straw and mud that the roof would have been made out of to create a hole big enough to lower their friend down onto the floor in front of Jesus. It's very easy to quickly jump over this, but I imagine the people inside would have felt things start falling on their heads as they're standing in there. And they slowly look up and they see this man who can't move lowered down on the floor in front of them. And Jesus, this man who everyone is there to see, sees their persistence and their belief, their faith that Jesus can solve this paralyzed man's problem. And he helps. He does the thing they want him to do. He solves a big problem. In fact, he solves the paralyzed man's biggest problem, but it's not actually the problem we expect. I don't know about you, but if you're anything like me, if you saw a person that couldn't walk or possibly couldn't even move their arms, couldn't work, if you were to look at them and think, what would I solve if I had the opportunity? You might want to let them walk again, but Jesus does something different. In verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Who talks like that? Anyone looking at this man that couldn't walk would think that his biggest problem is just that, right? That he can't walk. Who talks like that? Instead of fixing the man's obvious need, He tells him his sins are forgiven. The people standing around Jesus watching this are baffled. They don't know what's going on. In verse 7, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. In fact, not only is, is this weird, it's probably wrong. Who can forgive sins but God alone? The people question, who talks like that? How can he say that? Because one, it's impossible to prove, right? He's just told this man, your sins are forgiven, but how do they know? How would anyone know if what he said is true, if the man's sins are forgiven? And two, only God can forgive sins because all sin is against God. If someone wrongs me, only I have the right to forgive them, right? No one else can come into that situation and say to the person who's wronged me, no, nah, you're all good, mate. I forgive you. When we say the word sin, we mean rebellion against God. Not doing the things He wants and actively doing the things that He doesn't want us to do. Living life without God as Lord and King. So no one can step into that situation, no one man should be able to step into that situation and forgive sins, except for God. And the people are actually right to question Jesus here. They're actually right to see someone saying this and say, you're wrong, you shouldn't be saying that, because only God can forgive sins. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus actually doesn't tell them that they're wrong. He doesn't actually correct them. He knows that this is what they're thinking. And he leans into it. Because this is what Mark has been trying to tell us for the entire book so far. This is the good news about Jesus, the Son of God. When he was baptized in chapter 1, a voice from heaven said, "'This is my Son, whom I love.'" When he cast out a demon, the demon proclaimed, I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. Because yes, only God can forgive sins. That's 100% true. Their picture of Jesus was so small that they didn't realize that he was God. And Jesus knows they're thinking this, so he asks them a question. What is easier, to say to this man, your sins are forgiven, or to tell him to get up and walk? It's a really hard question, right? If someone asked me that question, they're both, they both seem equally impossible. Forgiving sins, that's a big call, yes. But how do you actually prove it? As far as which one's easier to say, that one actually does seem easier to say. But telling a paralyzed man to get up and walk If you're faking it till you make it, you're not going to make it (laughs) because that man is not going to get up off the floor. And so Jesus follows up. He says, and I'm just going to read this from the passage, I want you to know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, this is the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. So he got up, he took his mat. And in full view of them all, he walked out. Jesus wants the people there to know that he can do what is unseen. What only God can do. And so he does something that they can all see. He heals the man. To show that he's willing, able, and powerful enough to solve the man's greatest problem, he heals him. So I want to ask you guys the question again, and I'm not going to get you to talk to the person next to you. What is your biggest problem? Do you think it's lack of money? Lack of interest from the opposite gender? Grades at school? Parents asking you to do things you don't wanna do or putting unfair expectations on you? A sibling that bullies you? Sometimes not great things, right? Sometimes we have really serious problems. And your answer to this question, what's your biggest problem, might be a very real problem in your life. But your biggest? I think your biggest problem is the one that has the worst consequences, the most dire situation that it's going to put you in. And that problem is sin, because it's the cause of all other problems in our world. This man, lowered before Jesus, couldn't walk. He couldn't move. But Jesus looked at him and knew that wasn't his biggest problem. His biggest problem was his sin, was his inability to have a relationship with the God who loves, cherishes, and created him. But last week we heard some good news. And that good news is that Jesus is a problem solver. And so the the amazing news for you guys tonight and for the entire world is that Jesus offers you, just like this man, forgiveness of your sins. When we approach Jesus with faith, we repent of our sins, we acknowledge that we're sinful, we can lay our sins at the feet of Jesus like that man was. And Jesus gives us forgiveness freely. He paid the price for it on the cross. Now, this doesn't mean that your other problems are insignificant. and It doesn't mean there's actually no hope for your other problems. Jesus did heal the man. But it would be wrong of me to say that in this life, every problem that you have will be solved if you have enough faith. Because it's not true. In this life, we will have problems. Jesus isn't like a wish-granting genie in that way. But Jesus is better. Because without you needing to know it, He solved your biggest problem. And we can bring our problems before Him, lay them at His feet. But sometimes there might not be a resolution in this life. But by solving our biggest problem, there will be a resolution eventually. There will be justice for the wrongs done against us. There will be peace from the pain, an ending to the tears. In heaven, where everything else and every problem falls away. Your leaders are here at Youth Group because we trust and believe in the hope that Jesus has given us. And we want every single one of you guys to have a relationship with Jesus like we do. But we can't let Jesus into your heart. You have to. Perhaps you've been a Christian for a really long time, but you're still holding on to the shame and brokenness of the wrongs that you've done. Knowing how broken you are, but never letting that forgiveness affect how you see yourself. If that's you, you need to get up off that mat and carry it with you. Don't lie there, paralyzed in your sin. If you've never offered your sin to Jesus before, if you've never knelt before him and asked for forgiveness, I can tell you there's nothing more freeing in this life than that. The knowing that the wrong things you've done aren't counted against you by a God who loves you. So I'd encourage you guys to do that. And I'm going to pray that now. And if you'd like to pray it with me, feel free to say amen. And Then we're going to break down into our response groups to chat some more. Dear Heavenly Father, sorry for the wrong things that we've done, for the ways that we've rejected you. We know what we've done. In some cases, we don't. We've just stuffed up. We haven't realized Lord, please forgive us. Cleanse us of our sin. Help us to open our hearts to Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that we know that by laying our sin before you, we're forgiven. Please help us to turn away from sin in the future. In Jesus' powerful name we pray. Amen. Let's go to our response groups.